Exegesis. We're back, Jack. We've done it again. <laughs> Welcome to Series 2 of Countdown to Exegesis, where we'll be looking at the Steely Dan album that inspired our mouthful of a moniker, Countdown to Ecstasy. For those just joining us, I'm Ollie Piper, and I got the Steely Dan t-shirt. Uh, my co-host, Andrew Suter, doesn't own any Steely Dan paraphernalia, and in fact remains thoroughly unconvinced about the works of Walter Becker and Donald Fagan, don't you, Andrew? Yeah, could you just explain the t-shirt reference? It, you'll hear soon enough. So it's a, it's a lyrical reference? It's a lyrical reference, yeah. Okay, okay. Um, you have, we have done one series yep. already, this is series two. Um, you listened to all of Can't Buy a Thrill, yep. Steely Dan's debut album. I did, I did. Meticulously. Mm-hmm. One song at a time over a few months earlier yep. this year. Yep. Uh, just sum up your feelings now, one album in. Uh, so my feelings are a sort of weary, resigned, semi-acceptance of the fact mm-hmm. that Steely Dan might be worth my time. Mm-hmm. But there's no joy. <laughs> there's no excitement. I've done a bit of a vault fast since the concluding episode of season one. Because as you'll remember, Ollie, I was very pumped up about that song, Turn That Heartbeat Over Again. Yeah, yeah. And it was, it was a fun record, as we say, in podcast land. And when Do it we? <laughs> well, I mutter it to myself sometimes the, ne- the day after. So that, that was a fun record. Um, but uh, I was very excited about that song and about Steely Dan in general. And I listened to today's song and I was basically waylaid by my good mood because I was like, this is fucking amazing. This is a great, great song. This evening, I I cannot be bothered to do this. Like, I I mean, no disrespect to you or to the podcast. I always like, or to our listenership, or to or to oh, um, Steely Dan, Steely Dan. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I mean, no disrespect to those fine aging. Oh, one of them's dead, isn't he? To those fine gentlemen. But I could be doing anything right now, and this is what I'm doing. I'm trying to find gently amusing things to say about a mediocre song. You see, that's this is my the that's my Thursday evening. Just to just to sum up the format, we we kind of covered it already, but we listen to we're going through the entire Steely Dan discography song by song, and I'm trying to basically convince Andrew that they're worth his time. I don't know why I bother, but I do. Yeah. Um, the problem, and this is one of it's a fairly watertight scientific format, I think. But one problem is that I I allowed Andrew to listen to, because he listens blind every time. I allowed him to listen mm-hmm. to Bodhisattva, the, su- the subject of today's episode, weeks ago, because we concluded season one, and he was delighted mm. about the song that finished season one, and he wanted to hear more, so I was like, you can have Bodhisattva, you can sit with Bodhisattva for a yeah. bit, and then weeks later, he's already gone off it. Yeah, I mean... Which is really annoying. I mean, listeners can't see this, but I have my arms crossed. <laughs> I've got. I'm sort of simultaneously like defensive and aggressive. I'm like, okay, here we go then. Let's talk about your fucking band. You know what I mean? That's my attitude this evening. I don't know what. I don't know why. I don't know what's happened. But I just this evening, as I was getting ready to do this, I just thought, I'm through with this. I I cannot. I cannot be bothered with this band. One day. 
These questions will be answered in a splendid exegesis. So let's talk Countdown to Ecstasy. Mm. I can see you brimming. Yeah, 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 yeah. With what, enthusiasm. What, what gold will it hold? Well, where we left the Dan with Can't Buy a Thrill, mm-hmm. we had Walter Becker and Donald Fagan, brill-building songwriters for hire, trying to hawk their musical wares, and they formed a band. Sick of trying to sell songs to other people, they formed their own band, this little jazz rock, soft rock combo called mm-hmm. Steely Dan. Threw together their first album, which was kind of a mix of uh, older demo material and newer stuff, hastily written for the album. Mm-hmm. So we ended up with an album which was kind of, sort of sounded like songs written for other people. It didn't really sound like they had a band identity so much at that point, although it's a great album. Um, songs are kind of all over the place stylistically. Yeah. Um, this, Countdown to Ecstasy, is the only Steely Dan album written for a band, written for a live performing mm-hmm. band. So this is all of them, um, all five, six, all six, um, kind of going, okay, we know... We know how we work as a band. Let's write a, let's write an album for performance and for live performance as well because the Dan stopped touring after a while. Um, but this is like, with Dan are literally like recording Countdown to Ecstasy and zipping in between tour dates, you know, mm-hmm. we'll have weekend gigs here and there and then go back and record. The uh, They've lost David Palmer. Oh, no more palms. No more palms. Oh. So... Um, Apparently, after a disastrous gig in Phoenix, they ditched David Palmer, oh, the honey-voiced, the honey-voiced wastrel of <laughs> album one. What happened in Phoenix? Uh, they don't. Uh, this is from the liner notes. They don't really get into much detail. Mm. But for whatever reason, they they turfed him out. Right, um, right. Donald's now Donald Fagan. Yeah. Him, him of uh, not not a honey voice. No. Uh, no. Is uh, is now singing all the songs, so yeah, this is an album for a live band. They know what they're doing, and it sounds like it, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and here's a quote from Becker and Fagan about mm-hmm. this: the arrangements were influenced for the better by the known instrumental textures and musical personalities of the band itself, and for the worse by the horror and prolonged ennui of the odious weekend outings forced on us by our manager during the very recording process itself. Oh, that's, so they were taken away the, from their, their little shed yeah, where they had their yeah, little model yeah. tra- train tracks set up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah well, yeah, you know, it's so, figuratively, yeah. So when... Sure, yeah. Yeah, figuratively. Their emphasis, by the way, on that. I didn't just read that last sentence in a really strange way for no reason. <laughs> right. So when they say the, the album was informed by the known instrumentation of the band, does that essentially mm-hmm. mean, well, we knew that Jeff Skunk Baxter could do a really fast solo... So we gave him loads of really fast solos. And we knew that Donald Fagan could do a sort of weary speak singing. So we did a lot of that. Um, no, I don't think so. Okay. Now, my opinion of this album is that it's, it's, a, real, uh, it's a real gem in the catalogue. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you should judge it on Bodhisattva for, for reasons that we'll get to, although Bodhisattva is, you know, spoiler, excellent. Um, mm. This is a really interesting Steely Dan album because it's written for a band and and everything else sounds like it's like 
kind of overcomposed in a in a good way. Like I like that sound. I like that Dan sound, but this sounds like it sounds like the Dan's breathing, you know, <laughs> swaggering. Yeah. Uh, having fun, right? Well, that was okay. So I, I, I feel it's time for me to say something positive. Okay, because I've been very Eeyore-ish. So you're going to floor me? Well, no, it's it's only um, mildly positive. But the, the 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 thing that surprised me about album one was that there were fun bits because mm. I thought Steely Dan were like humorless pop wonks. You know what I mean? Mm. They were just uh, very earnest, and so it pleased me that there was some like. You know, some some little songs you can shake your booty to, if you're mm. so inclined. And and Body Sapfer, although I have quite significant reservations about it, uh, it is fun. Mm-hmm. And we all need a bit of fun in life. And I think, yeah, well, well, yeah, I'll get on to this, but I think it's harmed your opinion of it having only had this, mm. you know, to listen to. Because it's it's quite a stylistically diverse album. Mm-hmm. I mean, for me, like this is—it's interesting because they wrote it for a live band, and it's interesting because they don't know quite where to take that band yet, and not in the same way as "Can't Buy a Thrill," where they're like, "Okay, we've got some songs left over from our bill building days, and we've got some demos that I've dug out from a you know college bag, whatever." Yeah. Like this is like, oh, we've got this fresh new band, and we're firing on all cylinders, and let's kind of take it in different directions. So we get things like vocal loops, um, mm-hmm. like proto synth pop. Going on, right? Okay. Um, oh, okay. On the, on this album. Um, I mean, to me, it's like it, it is their punk album, as as like anachronistic as, as that sounds. Mm. Um, in you know, in a true sense of punk, of of like of like no musical boundaries. Let's just throw everything at a wall and see what sticks. Mm. But but on this album, presumably everything is perfectly in tune. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah so really, what's so essentially what's happened is I've been sitting with this song for a couple of months now. I've listened to it quite a lot. Uh, and it's kind of like, you know, Kedgery? Oh, I love a bit of Kedgery. Yeah. Right, so I love a bit of Kedgery. But it's like one day you have Kedgery as a, as a little treat. And you're like, oh, this is so much more interesting than uh, Marmite on Toast or whatever. <laughs> that that was the initial listen through to Body Sat for. I was like, wow, this is... I love the way the hard-boiled egg mingles with the t- turmeric-infused rice or whatever. <laughs> But then if you have Kedgeree for breakfast every day for two months, mm-hmm. you're going to be like, fuck me, I just want some porridge. I do feel like you're simultaneously angry at me for <laughs> waiting so long to continue the podcast and the very fact that we're doing the podcast. No, I think I think basically, like all humans, I am essentially a surf to the tyrant of myself. As in, like, mm. I just need to be delivered from my own personality. So, like, it's a kind of resentful... As in, as in, you know, I knew what I was getting myself in for. And I threw myself into this with open arms. And I knew... And yet. And, and yet and yet and yet, you know. And, and, and I didn't have to listen to Body Sat for ten times. But I did. <laughs> so, essentially, I am my own prison guard... Um, and you know, I've no one but myself to blame. Well, I'll say stick it through, stick it to, st- stick with it through to the next songs. But you, you have actually heard the next couple of songs, haven't you? 
Yes, but a very long time ago, and I can't remember anything about them. Okay, good. Good, yeah. good. Just just thought we should, full yeah. disclosure. This, full disclosure, yeah, you know. yeah. But yeah, I was thinking about this, this uh, pod venture, as we call it, that, uh, you know, we, we're, we're sort of committing to nine series. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking maybe it will take the form of like a sort of classic relationship, you know, like in a, in a, in a film, as in the first series, <laughs> we meet... We have loads of sex, you know, in train toilets and changing rooms, and it's all like high energy. You're not supposed to tell people about that part of our relationship. (laughs) Or are you being metaphorical? I'm I'm being metaphorical. I'm saying it's like, first series is like grand passion. Oh, where where has this podcast been all my life, you know? Then you get to the second podcast, it's like, okay, here we are again. I'm still enjoying it, and there's there's some peaks, but also... The, the, the annoying aspects become more pronounced. Then there's like a wobble somewhere around season three where it's just like, oh, what am I doing? Oh, there's so many other podcasts I could be on. Um. <laughs> but you are uniquely qualified. A, because you do have like some good knowledge of early 70s music. Mm-hmm. And, and B, because you're weirdly like self-flagellative yeah as a person yeah like you know this is this is the podcast you're best qualified to be on i'm afraid i know i know but i just think that i'm worried about my wandering hands as in come when we're doing you know um katie lied or whatever maybe we'll just be like oh maybe i could just set up a randy newman podcast or something and then and then you'll feel betrayed uh, God knows what Donald Fagan will think about it, and there'll just be tears and recriminations. You know. Well, can we? Can I? That that brings me on to a quote I was going to mention mm. actually, which is because um, I was going to say this album on some days is my favourite album of all time, with Gaucho. No, my favourite Steely Dan album. Right, right, right. My favourite album of all time for the record is Cut by the Slits, but um, really, the yeah, uh, okay. my. <laughs> Scoff. No, I'm not scoffing. Um, I just, uh, I'm just surprised it's your favourite. Just talking about what what Donald Fagan would think of me if mm. I, you know, if I if I expressed that this was my favourite album. So so here's a uh, here's a quote from the liner notes. The recording process was not completely unrewarding. As a matter of fact, there is a substantial body of opinion which holds that Countdown was the best Steely Dan album bar none. Generally speaking, the type of person who typically holds this position is not the sort of individual you want sitting across from the table from you at a dinner party, especially one where alcoholic beverages are being served. Nor would you be well advised to give one of these guys your email address or gasp your phone number. It's just interesting because last series as well, I was saying that like you were talking about would Donald Fagan be your dream dinner party guest? Yes. And I was like, no, Donald Fagan, you know, no, I'd hate to be at a dinner party with Donald Fagan. Mm. This is written evidence that Donald Fagan would hate to be at a dinner party with me. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And that must hurt more for you than the the first situation. But maybe it cancels it out. Maybe actually we'd really get on at a dinner party. Mm. It's possible. You know? I guess if you steered clear of uh, Countdown to Ecstasy and just talked about Charlie Parker and... Uh, I don't know. I don't really know this thing. I don't have a handle on Donald Fagan's personality. I don't know what he likes. He, re- he really likes raisins. Raisins. You talk to him about, yeah, you should talk to him about Kedgeri. Okay. I mean, this ties in a bit with uh, with Bodhisattva. Uh, mm-hmm. in, okay. in that in the, I have a very clear sense of what Walter Becker and Donald Fagan don't like. Uh-huh. But I have no idea what they like. 
outside of the, the musical choices they make. Uh-huh. I feel well, like, I think, you know, like if we, if we sat down Donald Fagan and said to him, like, cats or dogs? Or like, uh, Democrat or Republican? But this, but this is kind of, uh, that's just, if you want to know the, the people, then you, you, you're chasing your tail because they're, you know, they're famously evasive and, and just like, they just do interviews as a big joke. Okay, all right, all right. Let me they don't let answer me, anything seriously. Let me let me put it more uh, um, dramatically. Okay. Steely Dan don't like hippies for some reason <laughs> that I don't fully understand. They don't like hippies, right? But I have no conception of what they do. Like, what do they want in hippies' place? You know? I don't think they've ever been in the business of offering solutions. Yes, yes, exactly. This is why I don't like Steely Dan. They remind me... Of Madame Bovary, you know, by Flaubert. No. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's a book from, from uh, France in the 19th okay. century okay. about uh, a bored provincial woman who uh, runs up debts, has, an, has a string of affairs because of she's, you know, uh, trapped by her boring backwater life. Okay. And, like, Flaubert depicts all the characters as, as, as weak Contemptible, hypocritical, vain, overreaching, underreaching, reaching mm-hmm. around, you know, whatever. Like everything the characters do is not good enough for Flaubert. But you're like, okay, what do you want? Mm-hmm. What do you what do you want from these characters? I understand yeah, that you think Charles Bovary, that's a really, you know. It's a really good way of summing up uh, Countdown to Ecstasy, actually. Right, right. You yeah. know, you know, there's flashes of this on um, Can't Buy a Thrill where it's kind of these character pieces. Uh, looking through uh, a Brooklyn lens at LA in the seventies, you know, yeah, um, did more than any album. And it's all, this is always present in Steely Dan, but pro- probably more than any album, apart from Gaucho, this is like this is a set of character pieces. Mm-hmm. This is about like the gypsies, tramps, and thieves they'd met in LA and like sneered at, mm-hmm. more <laughs> yeah. or less. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. This is the Madame Bovary. Bovary is that what I say? Of yeah, the, yeah. Uh, of the Steely Dan catalogue. Right. So you're in for a treat. Now, listen. I'm, it's sounding like <laughs> negative because everything you're saying is like I'm saying. Yeah, this is exactly what it's like, and this is exactly what they're like. I think this is um, knowing you in your taste. I think this is going to be, as a whole, uh, a good album for you. Okay. Okay. I think it's. I think it steps up from uh, the debut. In in all sorts of ways that you will find positive, okay. like it it peels back from the pop and notches up some of the more interesting and out there aspects. So okay, okay. I think I'm I think I'm, I'm going to give it I'm going to give it a go with all my heart. I'm just in a bad mood today, <laughs> <laughs> and I want to be watching telly. Great, but I am willing to to embrace Countdown to Ecstasy. That's my pledge to you and to our listeners and to, dare I say it, Steely Dan. So, Andrew, Mm. um, I thought I'd trial a new segment, which I'm tentatively calling San Francisco Show and Tell. (laughs) Right. Just a bit of background. So this segment, I'm thinking we can all we can each bring something to the table for each episode, mm-hmm. just to spice things up. Yeah. Add a little turmeric to the rice to go back to the kedgeri. Nice, nice. 
And this song's called... Well, uh, first of all, we don't use any Steely Dan music in our podcast. It's true. Because we're scared of licensing issues and yeah. litigious jazz men, right? <laughs> but I thought I could give a little taster in this show and tell segment. Okay. Okay. So I've tried to. I, I thought, why not try and accurately represent the music with the tools I had to hand? Ah. And the song we're talking about today is called Bodhisattva. Mm-hmm. Right. So I thought, why not do a cover with my body sat there? Body, my body sat I there. Was so on board with this. I really cheered up, like when you started talking about the San Francisco show and tell. And then the the second you said my body sat there. Yeah, I well, just, I just see, wanted to go to bed. <laughs> but so, if you want to hear, do you want to hear it? Do you well, hear I, it? I don't think I've got much choice, have I? Well, just play it for, okay. for, your, for okay. yourself. All right. It's, I mean, it's recognisably Body Sapphire by Steely Dan. Yeah. Uh, what, were you, what were you doing in the background there? It sounded like you were going... Oh, it's just my voice pitched down. Okay. Right, like, right. I wasn't breaking out any sort of like death metal growls or anything. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it gives a flavour, doesn't it? It so does, we can't yeah. use the recording. Yeah, yeah. It, it, yes, it, it does give a, it gives a flavour. <laughs> I don't know what else to say about it, really. It does and give a flavour and it does sound a bit like body sattva and you did it all with your body and that mm-hmm. is that's that shows um resourcefulness. Song facts Okay. Yeah. So not much. It's a very it's a very well regarded song this. Yeah. Just to give you some some context in the Danosphere, right? But mm-hmm. it's not a lot there's not an awful lot interesting to say about it. So I'll just I'll just quickly run through the like the, the release the releases and stuff. Wasn't a single. Um, a live version was released as a B-side to the Hey 19 single seven years later. Okay. Um, it was often a concert concert opener. Right. Uh, covered by the Brian Setzer Orchestra for the Me, Myself and Irene soundtrack. <clears throat> you know what this segment increasingly reminds me of? Uh, Toto on their 2002 <laughs> covers album, Through the Looking Glass. Yeah, carry on. It's, <laughs> it's just like when somebody shows you holiday photos. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And you sort of think, okay, well, I'll take an interest because it's important to them. But then after the first few, just like, yeah, it's a cliff. Sometimes, it, it, I, don't, a sometimes I have good facts. Sometimes I have, like, sometimes the facts are just yeah building context, you know. I think the best fact was not in the song facts segment. And that was that um, Chevy Chase was in a band with Becker and Fagan called <laughs> Leather Canary. That's yeah, an yeah, astonishing yeah. fact. Yeah, but that's like, everyone knows that. Everyone knows that. Everyone in everyone who do you know? Band. Who do you know who knows that? Uh, Apart from me, because you told me. It's a, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, all right. Fine. There's not a lot to say about Bodhisattva for some reason. I don't know why. This is like this always gets in like top fifteen dance songs of all time lists. Right. Right. But there's just not enough. There's just not a lot to say about it. Mm. Vibe. Noun. A vibraphone. Great. Let's talk the vibe. Do you want to go first? You yes, promised so... me you have a great vibe, and I want to see if it beats 
Fagan's vibe. Oh. Because he's effectively provided his own vibe, or two, in fact, for this song. He yeah. has elaborated on the meaning of this song, so he has he has uh, he has got some good vibes going. So, what's your vibe? He has delivered well. So I didn't. Should we explain what the vibe is? I think it's self-explanatory, isn't it? All right, fine, fine. Yeah, give you give your vibe. Yeah. Well, so what? Well, I say I say that in a sneery, condescending way, but then actually, my vibe is unlike any other vibe that we've done so far, because. Wow. Because I didn't prepare a vibe, mm. and then it got to five to eight, five minutes before we were meant to be recording, and I thought, oh, fuck, I haven't done a vibe. So what I did was I fed into an AI text generator mm. the words, Body Sattva by Steely Dan is. Oh, wow. And honestly, it gave me more than I ever even asked for. Uh, and I've taken a screenshot of this, just in case people don't believe that it's true. This is fascinating. So here's the uh, here's the vibe, as provided by Inferkit.com AI text generator. Great. Body Sattva by Steely Dan is God too. <laughs> Perhaps this wouldn't have occurred to me before I went on retreat with Hoagie the Pooh. Oh, sorry, Hoogie the Pooh. <laughs> so that's good, isn't it? It's good. Is that it? Yeah, that's that's the vibe. Yeah. Great. Well, I'm glad you rate it so highly. Mm. My vibe, which I'll, which I'll just, I'll just kind of dribble out, and then we can get on to Donald's. Um, but my vibe is the Dan loosens its hips and tightens its chakras. <laughs> yeah, like that. That's good. Because you know that's that's what's up, what the songs. About. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, from the from I think from the liner notes, original liner notes. Steely Dan said of this song mm. in a vibe-like short format, Diaz the Bebopper meets Baxter the Skunk beneath the bow tree in this altered blues. <laughs> right. What's a, what's a bow tree? Uh, the bow tree was a large and ancient sacred fig tree located in Bodh Gaya, India. Siddhartha Gautama, the spiritual ah. teacher who became known as the Buddha, is said right, to have attained right. enlightenment under it. Right, okay. So, that's a bow tree. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, Fagan has summarised the song's message as Lure of East, Hubris of Hippies, Quick Fix. It's interesting that uh, I read that vibe. I mean, I know it's not a vibe, but I read that quote on Wikipedia. The Lure of East one. The Lure of East one. And it's three sentences, mm-hmm. isn't it? It's like Lure of East, full stop. Yeah, yeah, Hubris yeah, yeah. of Hippies, full stop, quick fix. Quick, quick fix, yeah. It's like, I think I said this at some point last series, but... It's like he can't even be bothered to insult you properly. You know what I mean? It's just like six words or whatever, eight words, s- sentences that aren't even full sentences. It's just like, I hate you so much, I can't be- I'm can't. i not wasting any time over this. The music! For new listeners, we divide our chat into vibe music lyrics. Um, we're going to talk music now. Um, what do you think of the music, Andrew? Divorce from the lyrics, which, you know, not uniquely, but... Particularly on this song, the, I think the music and lyrics are a delicious dichotomy. Right. But let's talk about the music on its own. Just forget about the okay, hating okay. lyrics. Can I divide my thoughts into like pros and cons, you know, like good points, bad points? Yeah, sure. Because there, there is a lot of things I like about this song musically. Mm-hmm. So immediately the thing I like a lot is the drum sound. The drum sound fucking, mm-hmm. they sound so good. Like mm-hmm. so crisp and and uh, bouncy. Mm. 
I love the little so you got you got the drums, then the piano comes in, which is alright. Then you have like the twin guitar thing, which is a bit like reeling in the ears. Mm-hmm. Which I kind of like, but also it feels a little bit like it feels a bit bloated. Like it goes on for a, it's a long introduction. Mm-hmm. Basically, I like I like the song of this song. What I mean by mm-hmm. that is when the, when Fagin comes in singing Bodhisattva Bodhisattva. Mm-hmm. From there until the guitar solo, I am totally sold on this song. I think it's really fun. It's really infectious. It feels like it's rooted in. I want to say jump blues. Is that a thing? I don't know. You don't know? No, I don't know either. But you, do you know what I mean? It's, 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 correct us. Please correct us, because I don't know very much about the blues, but it's like up-tempo, fun-loving blues music. Okay. With jazz changes and, uh, just to foreshadow a little, intellectual or pseudo-intellectual lyrics. Mm-hmm. I'm well up for it. I think it's really it's really great. But I just get this this really strong sense of bloat from this song. Because it's like the introduction goes on for fucking ages. Then you have the song itself. And then you just have this fucking solo that feels like an eternity. And then when the solo's over and we've had our little pyrotechnic wank show, you just have the fucking song again. You know what I mean? It's just like the, the you get the twin guitar riff bit again. And then you I get think the... that's the name of um, Donald Fagan's next tour. <laughs> what? Pyrotechnic? The pyrotechnic wank show. <laughs> If it isn't, it should be. It's, Someone it's, write to him. It should be, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. Basically, my, my feeling about this song is that it's a, an excellent sketch of a song spread very thinly. And it's kind of like, I was thinking, you know how people talk about like cocaine rock or like music that sounds like they were all coked up when they were making it? Yeah. Everything's like too loud. The snare drum is too loud. The synths are too, You know what I mean? It just feels like there's too much. Because they all just want more. Just give us give us more and mm-hmm. more energy. This feels like they're microdosing on LSD or something. And they're just like totally honed in on all the details and like the studio perfectionism at the expense of just giving us what we want, which in my case is a two-minute banger with a little solo maybe to fade us out. What do you think? I, again, think you need to hear this in the context of the album. Mm -hmm. So after we've done all this and and you have the freedom to listen to it all, Mm. I think think you should listen to this. Now, Bodhisattva is, uh, yeah, it's a damn sort of letting loose. It does go on. Yeah, Um, it does, doesn't it? It's kind of like this kind of bluesy boogie Dan is often my least favourite mode of Dan. Mm Mm-hmm. It, when sometimes when they do this, it can sound a bit turgid, I think, and I don't tend to like the kind of twelve bar with bells on songs that they do very much, right? Mm. But for me, Bodhisattva is just like so exciting. It's it's like a sort of runaway one runaway train or something like how it just kind of builds and builds and builds. Um, there's really nothing like it in the catalog at this kind of tempo and this kind of like. Look at us, we're a band and we can really fucking play. Yeah. For me, it's that big number in the set where they go, um, well, it would be the one where they kind of introduce the band, you know, yeah. and everyone gets their moment. And it's almost kind of doing that. But that's what I don't like I about think. it. That's what I don't like but, about it, because it's like... But in the context of the album, the album has many. Uh, the album has much more depth than Bodhisattva alone has, but Bodhisattva is just this, like, 
such an exhilarating song to kick us off for me it's kind of clearing the board it's going look we can really play and we can really we're we're a fucking and it sounds like they're excited about being a band so it's like here's here's a here's a fucking kick-ass album opener listen to us all do these slightly bloated but really impressive solos now we're going to deliver an album of many shades now you know that we can do that so Mm. we're not hitting you just with like moody sort of wonky jazz pieces immediately like let's get that out of the way so you know that like we have a fully functioning fucking hot shit hot band mm-hmm. that can have fun here's all the other sides of our personality so it needs to be heard with razor boy coming in and going i hear you are singing a song of the past <laughs> immediately immediately after that fucking uh, after that like storming yeah, so, solo by like yeah. as as the as the runaway train sort of hurtles over the cliff and skunk stands on its Cow catcher, just bending that last note. What's a cow catcher? Plummets. That bit on the triangle bit on the front of steam trains. All <laughs> <laughs> oh, right, okay. Sorry, I thought he was on a cliff. What? What's the metaphor? No, the train's coming off the cliff. Oh right, and Skunk, and Skunk is on the cow on catcher. The, right, on the cow catcher as it plummets. Right, with his cock out. With his cock, his metaphorical guitar cock. Yeah, just flailing just, in the wind. <laughs> yeah. And then we suddenly get like, and then we suddenly like, it, there's silence and it's Razor Boy and it's like, okay, now the album is going to do, could deliver us through all sorts of shades of weird and funky and all the rest of it. And it's, it's a, it's a fucking trip, man. Okay. Um, but okay. Bodhisattva does, does that, it, it plays that role in the album and, you know. But I think it could play that role without the, without, it, it, basically I think this song is a novelty song. Because if you think about, like, this ties in with the lyrics as well. But if you think about, like, do you remember the Crazy Frog song? You are, you're not going to compare Body Sample <laughs> to the Crazy Frog, please. Well, only, <laughs> only in please, one way. don't do this to me. Okay, forget, forget Crazy Frog. You remember Barbie Girl? Oh, my God. By Aqua. No, that is a step above. That's fine. So, essentially, in order to be a novelty song, you have to have one thing that is attention-grabbing. Mm-hmm. And then the rest is noise, you know? Yeah, okay. And I think that, contrary to what you're saying, I think that they've got this incredibly tight, exhilarating pop song, which is then watered down by the solos. The solos are extraneous. The solos are just like, oh, well, Skunk's here, so you may as well jizz all over it, you know? He's had a rock on all morning. Let's just... Doesn't that Skunk solo just make your heart... Like rise Sink. up in your chest and sort of start flashing in neon colours. Can I tell you what it reminds me of? Yeah, go on. It reminds me of two things actually. Okay, so number one, it reminds me of there's an Aerosmith album called uh, Honkin' on Bobo. Um, there's a really good uh, episode of the Late Era podcast about Honkin' on Bobo, which I'd really recommend. It's very interesting. But there's a bit on on a cover of a Bo Diddley song on Honkin' on Bobo where Steven Tyler screams guitar solo. He goes like, guitar solo! Like that. And then, uh, what's he called? Joe Perry just starts guitar soloing. That's what this sounds like to me. It's just like, oh, well, they're here. So come on, let's let's get that solo going. Come on. Yeah, yeah, you know. I don't want to hear it. It's, it's <sighs> fucking boring. And then the second thing it reminds me of is like... You know when people 
try to explain to you the global financial crisis of 2008. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, try, I tend to avoid conversations like that, but yeah, for the sake of continuation, yes. So what I'm, what I'm getting at here is that the global financial crisis of 2008 is like seismic and fascinating. I think we'd agree. It's like so interesting, mm-hmm. but it's so boring. Mm-hmm. Like at the same time, it's like, so you're talking to somebody and that they know, they understand, they know all about Goldman Sachs and the mortgages and stuff, foreclosures and whatever. And they're, te- they're telling you all about it. And you're like, wow, the consequences of this are just so mind blowingly varied and interesting. But also I'm fucking bored and I just don't want to, I, I just want to exit this conversation. That's how I feel about so- these solos. It's just like, because yeah, wow, that's, that, you, yeah, you can really, you can really play there. But can we just get back to the shiny, you know, I want, that's what I want, that's what I crave. Well, look, I mean, at the end of the day, this is Steely Dan's take on a kind of long-standing band trope, isn't it? Like the, the highfalutin clap-along fun number. Yeah. Um, with big impressive solos, if that concept in general is distasteful to you, then there's nothing I can do to argue otherwise. I think Dan put a Dan twist on it, lyrically and otherwise, and uh, and it becomes something exciting. Dan! There's a there's an interesting there's a funny story that Denny tells which I'm gonna ruin because mm. I can't tell anecdotes. But do you know the there's like a there's like a synth part that sounds a little bit like a saxophone. <laughs> no, it's like it's like um, no, not that. The um, it's like a it's just playing chords through. Oh, the, is this under the sparkle in China? The, it might be. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's playing these big big chords basically, mm. and. They recorded that on this little synthesizer that had like tuning problems. It was like proper old school synthesizer with a tuning knob, mm-hmm. and they kept and it was monophonic, so they had to keep recording over the tracks to get the layer of the chords. And each time they'd go back and they'd keep hearing tuning problems, so they'd go have to go and punch in a note again and retune. It took ages and ages and ages. And Donald started saying, "I'm going to kill this fucking thing." <laughs> right. Like, and first he was saying it whenever he had to retune a note, and then he was saying it after every time he played. Mm. And then eventually, when they got it all down and fixed all the tuning problems, like hours later, yeah. Don rips the cables out the back of it, like chucks it down the stairs, and starts like destroying it. And then the band all join in, go downstairs, and set this keyboard on fire. <laughs> right. And then apparently it ended up on the. <laughs> It ended up mounted on the wall of the record company. Mm. Oh, um, you see that quote? Yeah, with some quote about Donald. There's some quote about Steely Dan and Men and Machines or something. But I'll link to the story because it's because Denny tells it much better. Um, That's nice. I bit of rock and roll Steely Dan goss there. Mm. Yeah, Yeah. there's not many kind of like throwing TVs out of windows or assaulting people with fish stories in Steely Dan. And I, you know, I don't want to be pious, Ollie, but there was probably a kid around the corner from that recording studio who was saving up for a monophonic synth and knew that 
he'd probably never be able to afford one. Meanwhile, Donald Fagan is like kicking it in a stairwell. You know, it's not very nice. That boy boy. was called Andrew Souter. (laughs) (laughs) And I still can't afford it to this day. (laughs) (laughs) The lyrics! There's a single almond on my staircase. No, that means you're going to die tomorrow. Oh, God. Yeah. But in the meantime, do you want to talk about Bodhisattva's lyrics? Sure. So, these lyrics are not plentiful, are no, they? No. They, uh, I think there's about three paragraphs, short paragraphs of lyrics. Mm. Uh, and they kind of, I guess they kind of make one point, which is to be in direct, direct contrast to the upbeat music, I would say. Yes. Or... Maybe the music is like the music that's playing in the head of the person who is seduced by uh, spirituality. Well, should we should we kind of explain the bone of tone of mm-hmm. this song to steal a Denny Diaz idiom? Mm-hmm. So, so Donald Fagan has given his exegesis of this mm-hmm. song. He has said that's some sort of parody on the way Western people look at Eastern religion, sort of oversimplify it. We thought it was rather amusing. Most people don't get it. Uh, another quote at the time a lot of eastern religious thought was popular in the united states and still is people thought they could somehow easily move into this zen and mahayana buddhism this enlightened state and it's very difficult for a westerner to do that because it's really a cultural thing so it was a kind of a satire i'm going to sell my house in town i'm going to move to china and japan yeah so so don's laid it bare yeah um he didn't he didn't uh, need to really no no because because this is it's not hard to to read the irony in his voice or in these lyrics. Yeah, as written. Um, but yeah, I mean, more or less, it's kind of like it's kind of like I'm playing. I'm I'm snarkily playing the role of this of this character who's um, seduced by Eastern religious uh, practices that I don't understand fully. Yeah. And um, and it's like because there's the pun on China and Japan. Yes. So, as in the shine of your Japan, the sparkle of your China. Um, yeah. So, do you want to explain those for the uh, so the brains I, at the other end of the microphone? Yeah. So, both Japan and China are materials. Yes. Uh, which are used to make ornamental uh, trinkets. So, like Japan is a type of lacquer. I think you would mm-hmm. have like a japanned table. Would yeah. Be like a lacquered table, and then China is like bone china. You know, you make tea sets out of. So it's like. This person is saying, can you show me the shine of your Japan, the sparkle of your China? The surface meaning is they want to dive into Eastern religion and Eastern thinking. But then the pun is that they're only, they are blinded by the ornamental surfaces of Orientalism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And or... that's nice. So when I got that joke on like the th- second or third listen to this song, when I was like, oh, that's nice, you know. It was. I thought it was smart and funny and whatever, but then it's like having kedgeri for breakfast every day. After a certain point, <laughs> after a certain point, you just think, "Oh, is that it?" Uh, so basically, <laughs> yeah. But you have listened to this song exclusively. I've listened to other songs, just not yeah. By, I know, but by it, Steely no, Dan. No, in terms of yeah, in the Steely Dan oeuvre, you've only listened to this, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, so. You can imagine you might be a, a bit tired of it because it's not a particularly deep lyric. It's got one joke. 
more or less. Yeah, it, it's basically a, um, it's a riddle. What is it? What is interesting in this lyric? I think mm. it's you know it's a it's a it's a sneer at whoever you want it. To, you know it, whether it's kind of like moneyed up LA types who are mm-hmm. um, who who are uh, quote unquote finding religion or finding themselves or or hippies or whatever else. Like it's it's all delivered with like this like chronic sneer. Yeah. Um, but what's interesting is that that's laid across this this as we dis, as we described this like boogie fucking runner train of of a you know this tooting flying <laughs> air machine <laughs> of a song that's plummeting to earth yeah and then and yeah. and then you know and then the lyrics are kind of uh, a little bit divorced from that but like not at the same time because if you like you say if you're listening to it as the character yeah it is like it would be someone who's like hyper excited but like you only have to sort of skim the sur- scratch the surface to yeah. reveal the clouds of of black snark that sort of yeah, emanate yeah. forth so that's kind of you know that is the 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 joke yeah. and the message of, of bodhisattva but i think you know i it's such a great song that i think it holds up it doesn't need to be any deeper and i know you have problems with this lyric being shallow would that be fair yeah yeah so you know but like if imagine this song was was just kind of like a fun boogie woogie number with all these screaming solos and the lyrics were like boogie lady would you take me by the hand <laughs> you know yeah um what? and i'll make you forget that other man <laughs> it would be an yeah. infinitely worse song Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I like that there is a... I mean, but this is the thing, right? So that this song is, is, a, is a scathing attack on superficiality, but the lyrics are an exercise in superficiality because they're basically catching your ear. It's like, oh, that's an interesting... Bodhisattva, that's a weird title for a boogie blues song. That's unusual, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, I think there's a pun on China and Japan. That's interesting. But then when you actually get it, once you've got the joke, you never want to hear it again. Ly- lyrically, I mean. As in, the whole song is an exercise in catching your ear because it sounds clever. That's why I compare it to a riddle. It's like, if you tell somebody a riddle, they're not going to want to hear it again once they know the answer. Well, I can add another layer to your mm-hmm. reading. Oh, right. Just to start with. So, you say, the shine of your Japan, the sparkle of your China, mm-hmm. the character is only influent- is only interested in the superficial aspects of these religions. Yeah, you could also read that to say that they are also obsessed with the material, still. And you know, one of the key tenets of being a bodhisattva, being yeah. an enlightened one, mm-hmm. is to renounce material possessions. Yeah. So, even in their desire for spiritual awakening and and kind of cultural curiosity fetishism that this song's kind of looking down on, they are still making references to material things. Yeah, in yeah, their, yeah, 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 you know, in the in in their summing up of it. Same with. Um, I'm gonna sell my house in town. Someone on Genius pointed out that this is like, you know, if you're gonna renounce your possessions, you're not gonna sell your house. Oh, I thought you were gonna say that it implies that they have more than one house. It's like I'm gonna sell oh, my yeah, house no, in no, town, no. but I'll keep my holiday home or whatever. Yeah, I'll keep the yeah. keep the little the little one by the seaside. Yeah, yeah. My argument is going to be this song doesn't need to be deep because the lyrics are window dressing and they're interesting enough 
window dressing to elevate the song beyond what it would be if the window dressing was Boogie Lady. Yeah, yeah, I can but, I can accept that. So I'm uh, yeah I'm going to avoid looking any deeper because I don't think I don't think it demands a deeper reading than what they've given us really. Yeah, but that's the that's the problem, isn't it? That's why it's a a boring song is because it's no, like... but not not every song needs to have like a Bob Dylan fucking eight minute doom fest. No, but give us another Vote. verse. Give us a different verse mm. when it comes back. You know. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I groove you know, in, groove when is in I... the heart. It's a great song. That's basically groove is in the heart said again and again. You know. Yeah, but groove is in the heart. It's like it's be- it's because Steely Dan are giving themselves giving themselves these airs and graces like. They are drawing attention to their intellectualism by calling the song Body Sat for a bit of wordplay, whatever. It's making a sort of point of sorts. But then they don't... It's, 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 like, it's like a tweet, you know? Well, look, in a similar way, and I'm, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but in a mm. similar way to album one, yeah. if we look back to our very first episode when you listened to Do It Again, yeah, uh, and you disliked that song yes, to begin with, until you heard it within the context of the album. Yeah. And I think, I predict that by the end of this series, when we sum up what we liked and didn't like, you are going to be <laughs> on board with Bodhisattva. And in an album or a couple of albums' time, you'll be, you'll be fucking listening to this for pleasure and air guitaring along to Skunk as he flies <laughs> off the cliff on the cowcatcher. Right, right, right. Okay. I can't see it, but... Um... <clears throat> I want that to happen. I mean, as we've said before in series one, I don't want to be Captain Negative sitting here dragging down your Dan Rhapsodies. Like, that's not that's not a role I enjoy. I want to like mm-hmm. Steely Dan. Um, and there's enough in this song that I enjoyed. But ultimately, it's a damp frisbee. His ham-fisted exegesis in last month's Vanity Fair made me cringe. Okay, so before we move on to our firm ratings, mm. Sam or Scam, um, there was one uh, interesting quote that I that I didn't have a chance to say, so can I just mention that? Yeah. So this is on an interview um, with Becker and Fagan on KGSR Radio from 2003. The okay. interviewer asks... Can you remember any favourite lyrical misinterpretations, Walter? And Walter Becker says, I seem to remember that somebody thought the line... (laughs) Somebody thought that the line, the sparkle of your china in Bodhisattva, actually said something like, the spark of your vagina. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's where I thought you were going when you were singing Boogie Lady. Oh. Boogie Lady, where you take me by the hand... You know, you show me the spark of your vagina. Yeah, or to, you know, something along those lines. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I actually, I, I listened to the song and tried to hear it like that, and I couldn't, to my disappointment. So, what is uh, track two on Countdown to Ecstasy? Track two is Razor Boy. I think. Razor oh, Boy. God. Okay. Razor Boy. Razor Boy. What's a mm. Razor Boy? It just makes me think of that Adam Sandler film, um, uh, you know, about the kid with learning disabilities who's played for laughs. What's it called? I don't. Isn't that every Adam Sandler film? I think so. Yeah, yeah. It's not good, is it? It's not a good so, way to make your money. 
How so? Okay, he, this can be a segment. <laughs> okay. Andrew's Andrew predicts. Mm. What what do you what do you predict of of Razor Boy? Razor Boy. Now you have heard this, but you've got no real I memory of it. I remember nothing about it. Like literally okay, nothing so about what, it. What does the title Razor Boy suggest to you? Like, Razor what's the music Boy. like to start with? Razor Boy, flagging down the cab on a Sunday morning. On 40th Avenue, boy, Razor Boy. It's a sort of chugging country rock thing. It sounds a bit like uh, The Grateful Dead on uh, American Beauty. Razor Boy. I think you're just projecting what you want it to be, aren't you, Andrew? <laughs> You're so yeah. far off. You are. You have been. You're so far off, which delights me. Mm. Every single thing you've done is so far off. <sighs> Has he got a saxophone solo? I can't remember. It's okay. probably. It's probably the, the 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 most sort of depressed sounding Steely Dan song we've heard yet. The most depressed and complicated. <laughs> Just like me. Raise a boy. Flagging down the tram At West Street at night And then it goes Where am I gonna see my home again? Where am I gonna see my home again? Raise a boy Like that. That, was, that was the closest you've got so far. <laughs> it wasn't close, but you're like you're in the same solar system now. Okay, okay. All right. Well, well let's you, leave it there. You've successfully. Uh, it was delightful, but you, I don't you, think the audience can take anymore. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll edit it out, surely. <laughs> the main thing is you have reeled me back in. So I came into this episode thinking, "Fuck this podcast! I hate Steely Dan. I want to." Just sit on my lie on my back and fart this evening. I don't want to talk about Steely Dan. However, having talked about Steely Dan for a while and your descriptions of what's coming next, I'm back on board. I'm back on the Dan train. It's like I am the emotional abuser in a relationship that you really want to leave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just have to beg you back every time. Yeah, that is what's happening. Really unhealthy. Yeah, Yeah, really unhealthy. Yeah, because now. I'm like, oh, I can't wait to hear Razor Boy, and then I'll listen to Razor Boy. I was like, what the fuck am I doing with my life? Why don't I just... He said it. Cha- he said it would change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Slam or scam. I'm going to surprise you. No, you're not. It's a slam. You're double bluffing me. <laughs> it's a slam, and I'll tell you for why. Because. I genu- as I've, I've been I've, I've said this like about three times now. The the song bit of the song when it's like body up when you turn by the hand, blah 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 blah, sparkle of your china, all of that I genuinely think is very very good. It's exciting. It's witty. It's unexpected. It's what I want. The problem is that it's spread thin, you know, and it and it and it doesn't deliver on that. And I find the solos really really boring, and showy. But I can't, you know, it's like, uh, it's like, for instance, I was listening to, you know, Comus, the uh, the psychedelic folk band? Yeah. Right. So I was listening to a Comus song this morning um, mm. 
and Should like the, put you in a great mood. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's why I'm in such a such a foul mood this evening. The first like three minutes are so great. It really like did it for me, and then it sort of like meanders for what feels like years. It's kind of you know some nice guitar stuff and a bit of oboe and whatever, and it's like it's it's all right. But I couldn't, I can't say that that song is a scam because the first few minutes I was like genuinely enlivened, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna say the same about Body Sattva. I think it's that it, it, there's enough, you know, there's enough going on. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like if you had a Bloody Mary. And all the Bloody Mary rose to the top. And all that was at the bottom was water. Tomato plasma. <laughs> it was tomato plasma, yeah. <laughs> so how about you? Scam or slam? Look, it's a slam. It's a slam because it makes me feel strong and big and excited. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's got fun lyrics. And, and I can't hear the end without singing the first bit of Razor Boy. Which, uh, spoiler, is like one of my absolute favourite Steely Dan songs, and it's just such a beautiful contrast how it goes in. I almost want you. To, I almost want when you listen to Razor Boy, you have to hear like the last twenty seconds of Bodhisattva going into Razor Boy, because to me that's just like that's just a beautiful moment of the album. Is and, this is this listen- the first chord of Razor Boy? I have no idea whatsoever. Okay. I don't think it's you know I don't think it's yeah it's 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 well in in I can just say that it's suitably kind of melancholy and mm-hmm. and, and slightly dissonant yeah would you call that dissonant no okay <laughs> <laughs> that asked me to do music things um, okay well look I look forward to you hearing the real Razor Boy mm-hmm. and. Hopefully not being quite so salty. Yeah, sorry. When we come back. <laughs> I'd like to <laughs> I'd like to say sorry to you and to our listeners and to It's fascin it's fascinating as a like as a basically kind of like a uh, the effects of alcohol on the mood cuz cuz listeners can hear you mm. gradually warming up. It's nothing I've said despite what you've said. <laughs> you've drank a few beers and yeah. And some weird spirit that you found. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and now I'm so keen to listen to Razor Boy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's not good, is it? It's not good. Um, but, you know, me me and happy Uncle Beer are pleased that you are on board. And, uh, yeah, we, we'll see you all next week. See you then. from the future here Um, I'm just putting the finishing touches on this episode before it goes out tomorrow what a strange angry episode it was you'll be pleased to know Andrew doesn't remain quietly pissed off with me for the rest of the series thank god so just popping up to say follow us on the socials if you like we are on countdown to exegesis on most things or exegesis pod on twitter and we also now have a Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash countdown to exegesis, you can throw us a bit of loose change or for a teensy bit more, get some bonus episodes uh, from us looking at some rare Dan material. So yeah, it should be good. Nothing up there as yet, but there will be soon. So thanks again and goodbye.